Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Friend of a Friend. Today we are diving into all things nostalgia. And I decided to bring on my resident expert, Alyssa Vengen, onto the show. She is the editor-in-chief of Nylon Magazine and a self-proclaimed former emo kid. And she happens to be one of the funniest people that I follow on Twitter. I love her takes. She's someone who I love to see pop up on the feed. And if you don't follow her yet, please go shoot her a follow. I promise you won't regret it. From Machine Gun Kelly to Heaven by Marc Jacobs to probably something that we've all bought recently on Depop, the punk revival era is clearly as alive and well as ever. So I brought on Alyssa today to help us debunk it all. We talk Olivia Rodrigo, Haley Williams, obviously MGK himself, Travis Barker, fashion trends, and so much more. And of course, I asked her a ton of questions about how to build a career as a fashion journalist and what it takes to be an editor-in-chief. I hope you guys loved today's episode. It was a really fun one to record. If you haven't followed the show yet, find us wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure you follow us, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in and have an incredible week ahead. Here's my conversation with my friend, Alyssa Vingen. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. You know, I'm like such a big fan of yours. That's just very sweet. So Thank so you so much. You. Of course. How are you? What's going on? I'm doing well. I'm a little tired this morning as we were talking She's like before. chugging coffee. She's like, I am not here yet, you guys. <laughs> so as a fellow dog parent, you understand my dog has been waking me up between 5.30 and 6 every morning. I don't really know what to do about it. If I seem a little slow on the uptake, that's why. So I was telling her that maybe like, <laughs> feeding schedule, more walks. Maybe she's sleeping too much during the day, right? Yeah. Something I think along she's, those lines. I think she's a little lazy. I might yeah. need to get her. What kind her. of a dog is she? She's a Havanese. Okay. Which is, you know, technically known as, yeah, a low energy lab right. dog. So I've been taking her on more walks. I think I just need to take her to daycare more because being chased around by strange dogs all day definitely takes it out of her. Welcome to the dog podcast. Welcome to the dog podcast <laughs> where we talk about our dog problems and answer, you know, if you guys have questions about your dogs, we're going to answer them. But I we won't. Also, I don't know any answers. I was also going to say, like, we are also in a dilemma right now. So if you guys have advice for Alyssa on her dog who's sleeping yeah, too I, much and waking up too early. I really need my beauty sleep. So help me out here. You do need your beauty sleep. Mm-hmm. You're very busy. You're very in demand. You are a very, <laughs> very important fashion person, which is why I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. You are someone in my mind that is like at the like forefront of just like revival underlying period. Like everything going on, I feel like in the fashion world right now that is being revived, I feel like you have such witty spot on commentary with. And I'm a little out of touch with it. I'm not going to lie. 
So I don't I'm, believe that. I just like go to your Twitter and I'm like, what <laughs> is she saying? So I know what's going on and maybe sound a little bit smart. <laughs> so we brought you on today because we just need the full, full picture. All right, bring it on. But everything from reviving nylon to punk revival, which you are incredibly attuned with <laughs> and just like in it. And I love it. And it, again, like your Twitter for me is just so funny. Oh, thank you. Of course. But in your mind, what makes a perfect time for a revival? I I don't really have a good answer for that question. I feel like the nostalgia cycle has sped up so much that I can barely keep up with it. It's funny because Nylon came into my life and the pop punk revival came into my life around the same time. Like I was the 14, 15 year old buying Nylon at the grocery store with my mom and that's how I learned a lot about fashion because that was pre-internet. I didn't really have much to go on besides fashion magazines or the mall, which I did love to go to the mall. I still do miss them. But now as an adult, it's just so interesting to see Gen Z, Gen Alpha. Is that what you call the generation after Gen Z? What? I think so. Yes. So just the younger people who- There's another one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get ready. Like Northwest and Co. Oh, Jesus. I know. Okay. All right. (laughs) But it's just so interesting to see them getting into what I was in as a teenager because I still remember that so vividly. And it's really wild to see like Delia's aesthetics back in the mainstream when I was getting the Delia's catalog. And that's the girl I wanted to be. That's the girl I wanted to look like. But I didn't really have much to go on. So I would go to magazines. I would go to nylon. I learned a lot about fashion, beauty, music. So I don't really know exactly. I don't want to misspeak here, but I don't know why now is such a great time for these Y2K and punk aesthetics to come back. I think there's, of course, a lot of commercial reasons. I also think there's a lot of accessibility, right? Like, you can find so many things vintage on Depop or, you know, you can learn so much about fashion history on TikTok. Totally. I I would, I would take all of the, I will just say, I will take all of the fashion history on TikTok with a grain of salt. Totally. (laughs) But it's out there. And it's just really fun to see some of the younger pop stars and actresses and people in the public eye reaching into a vintage closet, maybe their moms, maybe, you know, a store that, you know, curates really great 90s, 2000s vintage and wearing that on the red carpet. Right. I love it. I Um, do too. It's fun to see. There's something that you said, I have it written down here in your first nylon editor's note. It said pop culture and nostalgia serve as powerful solves for anxiety in a difficult time. Part of me thinks that this moment is partially about kind of an unlived fantasy in a way, something maybe you didn't get to do in high school or a part of you you want to discover. But I also wonder in your perspective, after having read that, if you think it does have something to do with the fact that we are in a time where people are really emotional, people are really frustrated, people want to be vocal and loud. Do you think there's a correlation there that it has to do with something about how we feel as a collective society? That's a good question. I definitely leaned on nostalgia during the pandemic just to make myself feel a little better. I like think a lot of people did. I rewatched shows that I watched in high school. I brought out some of the albums that I hadn't listened to for many, many years. I 
went into my old nylon collection and just started reading old issues, things like that. And I wonder if, I, I know I'm not alone in that, but I do wonder if like we are leaning a little too much on nostalgia instead of like pushing forward. But that is a conversation for another day. However, I, I think agree with that. Yeah. Just you to, know, just to sometimes I think like, and say, yeah, yeah to um, that. but in terms of like the pop punk thing, I think it was just like a perfect storm of, you know, <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly and Travis Barker making some magic on tickets to my downfall. And then, you know, all of these youngsters who got really popular on TikTok during the pandemic wanting to branch out into other areas of entertainment. And many of them went the pop punk route. And, you know, we have like Lil Huddy and Jaden Hostler and all of these people who also got in the studio with Travis or MGK or, you know, producers like that. And it was a smash. Like people loved it. And also there hasn't been music like that out there for many years. Like, yeah, it was new to a certain set of people who maybe weren't around when like Blink-182 was on the radio, things like that. So it did feel new and it did feel fresh. And then riding that wave, like so many of the bands that I loved growing up had this moment where it's like, I just put out, or this is the 15th anniversary of our biggest album or 20th anniversary or whatever. So with that new wave of pop punk acts came a lot of nostalgia acts, right? So like I said, it was this perfect storm of like, this is a great moment for me personally because I, of course, am going to go to the Taking Back Sunday reunion show. Are you kidding me? Like, I can't wait. Dashboard confessional, et cetera. But yeah, I, I, I'm excited that it has been revived and it does feel fresh. And I don't feel like, you know, we are just living in the past with no forward motion. But I mean, it was, it really hit me. I saw Avril Lavigne at Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago. And wow. just like, I know her debut album just had its 20th anniversary. And that is wild to me yeah, because Avril is a star. I'd never seen her live in all of these years. And she just like blew me away. And I did get a little bit emotional. <laughs> I think for me, I grew up on Paramore. Like, mm -hmm. Haley Williams was my and apparently, apparently they're back in the studio. That's great news. Didn't know mm -hmm. that. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> but I just think, I think there's such a, for me, the reason why I think it's hitting such a moment right now is because so many of my emotions and the formation of my emotions came from these songs. Mm -hmm. Like so much of what I felt and so much of my exploration as a person, as a teenager came from listening to Complicated and Absolutely. Misery Business and moments like that, that just it like, I felt like I learned an entire new range of who I was by listening to them. The Misery Business music video, I think, dramatically altered who I was as a person. It's funny that you mentioned that just because I think about that sometimes when I'll put on like Jimmy World or something. I remember how I felt when I would listen to those songs. And, you know, when you're a teenager, everything feels like it's the end of the world or it's the biggest thing. And oh, woe is me. I'm so sad. Everything, you know, like you feel these big emotions when you're a teenager. It's kind of fun to go back there every once in a while. What do you think of the next generation of punk talent? Like, do you think they are comparing? Do you think it feels really different? I think the thing I'm most excited to see is just this younger generation paying such a sweet homage to prior totally. generations. Like I saw Olivia Rodrigo at 
Radio City a few months ago at this point. Wow, time is passing so, so quickly. Fast. And she not only was wearing like your stereotypical pop punk look with like the really thick boots and the little plaid skirt and the long gloves and the long hair. And she sang Complicated by Avril Lavigne. And, you know, she's been kind of covering a lot of the 90s female artists that yeah. I grew up on. Like she. Billy Allen. Like that was yeah, amazing. She um, covered No Doubt, one of the songs from Tragic Kingdom. I forget. But like Gwen Stefani in the 90s is the ultimate, you know? Yep. And I really love how Machine Gun Kelly is giving so much credit to Travis because Travis has had his hand in everything for two decades. And, you know, I grew up on Blink-182. Like I was watching them. I was listening to them on alternative radio in Virginia in the 90s. And then like they had their TRL moment in like 99, 2000. But I I do think it's nice that they're giving a nod to the people who came before them because I do think that they are trying to educate the younger generation. Like I remember when I was talking to Travis when I was in LA with him, he said that, you know, some kid might hear Kelly's Machine Gun Kelly song on TikTok and think like, oh, this is a whole new genre of music, pop punk. Right. I'm not familiar with it. And he said, I know that when I was in Blink-182 or I was on the radio with Blink-182, kids would be like, oh, this is new to me. But then they would kind of do a little digging and go listen to like the punk legends that came before. So as long as they are kind of opening the door to discovery, I think that is what is really major. Because, like, I was, when I was at Olivia Rodrigo, there was a pre show playlist that had a lot of like 90s alt rock jams on it that I loved. I was like, do the 11 year olds sitting next to me know these songs? Probably not, but they'll probably go home and look them up and download. I mean, it goes perfectly back to the whole like Kate Bush on Stranger Things. Amazing thing. moment. Well, right. I mean, I think I remember when I was growing up, there was a huge sense of like gatekeeping around music. Oh, a hundred percent. I'll never forget. I was sitting in like, I think I was sitting at like my lunch cafeteria and this like cute boy was sitting next to me listening to a song. And I was like, "Ooh, what is that? Can I listen? And it was such a quintessential moment. He like put an earbud in my ear and it was Weird Fishes by Radiohead. And he was oh, like, wow. don't share this with anybody. Oh, my gosh. But that was the I, I but that wasn't just that person. It was mm-hmm. I feel like it was the collective kind of vibe when we were younger was mm-hmm. this idea of like, this is my favorite band, like don't share it with anybody. So now it just kind of feels like a, the tides have shifted a little bit. But I wonder your thoughts on this because I do think in pop punk specifically, I feel like there's, I don't want to say a seal of approval, but I do feel like there is some camaraderie in one kind of respecting the elders, but also yeah, I guess a seal of approval. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Because even I remember the entire discourse around Olivia Rodrigo giving, did she give royalties to to Taylor Swift and Haley Williams? Was it royalties? I, I'm not sure how that all shook out. I'm not sure how it shook out either, but the conversation around mm-hmm. it, but also kind of wanting that cosign from an older generation mm-hmm. that came before you. I wonder your thoughts on if that's necessary, if you think it's warranted. I think it's great. Like I... Kind of going back to what you said about gatekeeping, I you just kind of like slapped me in the face with nostalgia myself. Like I remember being in high school and, you know, there were some like really cool girls and they would listen to, you know, I think an example could be Modest Mouse, right? And yes. they're like so into it. But like Modest Mouse was never for me. Just like 
okay, you know, right. not my taste. But I like pretended to like Modest Mouse for many, many years. And it, it took me until I got a little bit older. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be a girl. hater, but yeah. like, I, I like what I like. And I don't feel like I need to put on airs anymore. I don't care if this person or that person thinks I'm cool. But I think that the whole like gatekeeping attitude has subsided. And I think yeah. that's really great. And I do think that it is lovely that some of the artists that these younger artists are covering or paying homage to or whatever aren't being like, you're so lame. They're yeah. being like, wow, that's really lovely. And I'm going to like tweet the link to your song or I'm going to like, you know, do a dance on TikTok to it or whatever. Just like show that you're into it. And, you know, even going so far, like I think Olivia brought Alanis out to sing a song yeah. at one of her shows too. So that's great. And also, it's a moment for them, again, to kind of get in the face of a younger audience who might not know about them right. as much. Right. Do I think that the younger artists are doing it for a cosign? Probably not. But I do think it's nice when they do a little hat tip and it is recognized and it is not met with like, oh, that's so uncool. I can't believe I'm associated with this person. It's right. like a, a nice moment. Okay. So pop punk is also infiltrating fashion in a huge way. I feel like I see so much trickling in, whether it's, I, I feel like mini skirts, I even feel like it's just a huge revival of that moment. Arm warmers, like Heaven by Marc Jacobs. All I of love these. Heaven. So do I. I just think it's, to me, it felt, I mean, it, it didn't feel, obviously did not feel off brand for Marc Jacobs, mm -hmm. knowing obviously he was just such a pioneer in like the grunge era. Mm -hmm. But it felt like such a smart, move for I agree. this moment. Mm -hmm. As someone who's very much at the helm of bringing this fashion to the masses, what are your thoughts on this moment? It's just so funny to me that, I, again, I used to go to the mall when I was 16 and go to Hot Topic and just go wild. And now I was in LA recently and one of our first stops was Hot Topic. It's just like, the mall aesthetics are always going to be around right. in some form or another, and they'll just keep getting redone. So I was in a store recently on the Lower East Side, and I was just popping in before a Soul Cycle class, and I found an Ashley Simpson tour t-shirt from 2005. I obviously bought it, but it's just like people probably are discovering these things for the first time because people like me are going through their stuff and saying, okay, here's some like Remember that store, BB? Yes. <laughs> I had like all of those BB, you with know. the rhinestone tops. Yes, with the rhinestone tops. Like you can find those on Depop now. Like <sighs> what right now is like getting your seal of approval fashion-wise? I mean, I feel like I, <laughs> I've i been on the docs wave for a minute now. Ever since I, I've known you, you've been a docs girl, but, which I love. You know, there were those product creepers a few seasons ago. I still regret not buying them. So do I. And now there are just so many chunky black boots that I They're want everywhere. to buy. The plaid skirts, I've been lusting over the Chipova Luena skirts. Like I've, my friend, my very chic friend, Steph, who works at Vogue, just really turned me on to those. And I feel like I'll pull the trigger one day, but they're, they're expensive. But it's just, I think a combination of, you know, the Y2K aesthetics being back you know, the pop punk revival with so many very, so many people in the public I very like ingrained in it right now. Right. 
And then just like this whole vintage rediscovery, because I love how so many people are like going out and pulling out the vintage Vivian Westwood. Like what's more punk than that? Nothing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I wonder how long this wave will go. I feel like it's been happening for a minute now. So there might be there might be some punk fatigue and aesthetically. I never really gave up on that. Well, I was going to say, I was fascinated <laughs> that you just called it a wave. Because I'm like, is it a wave or is it just, is it here? I think it's here for some of us. But yes. then, you know. Yep. Well, it's interesting because one of my favorite subjects of your Twitter oh are <laughs> the pop punk girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Just personally love that. Like you've got Kourtney Kardashian, who's oh, aesthetic, man. completely mm-hmm. changed, literally, literally had an entire wedding <laughs> over this aesthetic that she like never had. I know. But it was really pretty. I'm it. not going to shame someone's wedding. Like <laughs> it was really beautiful. I'm very happy for them. I'm very happy that she found love and she's married. I, I love know. A, I love a love story. Me personally. too. I love love. I still am in the market for a pop punk BF. If anyone, anyone listening? Hello? <laughs> anyone want to play matchmaker? DM, you know. DM, guys. <laughs> you even tweeted the other day. Charlie D'Amelio is dating Landon oh, Barker. Yes, I love son. this. I love, I love this, this for her. I do too. But like, I, you know, you were like, is the pop punk phase coming for her? And <laughs> for you, is that like, so obviously that's super exciting for you. It's not like, girl, you're like just changing personas for you. It's like, you're like, yes, absolutely. Welcome I mean, to the club. I cannot wait for Charlie to be like seen out in L.A. wearing like a vintage Blink-182 shirt. Totally. Holding Landon's hand. That will just really make my heart explode. I want to go back to Heaven by Mark Jacobs but for a little bit. He said, if something was perfect or if someone looked amazing, you'd be like, she's heaven. They're heaven. It's heaven. Heaven was it. It's done. Perfect. Heaven. I love it. Heaven is heaven. And I thought that was such an interesting, interesting thing to say because he's basically saying that punk is heaven. I wonder what you think about that. I love Mark Jacobs. I think he is just the ultimate fashion personality. I think he is a brilliant collaborator. I think he is just, Mark, I love you if you're listening to this. Um, Mark, if you're listening to this, please (laughs) let me know. Oh my God. I think Mark has always been like the ultimate rebel, right? Right. Like it does not surprise me in the least that he thinks, you know, someone looking like a little off kilter or like they're just like rolling back in from a rave at 6 a.m. is like the coolest thing ever. And I've never been to the store in L.A. So if you have any intel on that, but it does seem like he stocks some very interesting, nostalgic, like old movies from like super niche. I was about to say design, very niche. Yeah. Niche directors and like books and things like that where, you know, maybe you wouldn't find that out unless, you know, kind of what we were talking about gatekeeping. I feel like that is stuff that the cool, quote unquote, cool kids probably gatekept from the other kids in high school. Like, right. This director is like mine and I don't want you to know about it. And like, I'm not going to tell my friends about it. But that's the kind of stuff it seems like he keeps around the store and does collaborations with and prints on T-shirts and things like that. So I do appreciate that Mark shares his passions with people Agreed. instead of keeping them inside. Because what's the fun in that? Totally. And I think at the end of the day, fashion really is for everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you can, I just think that there's something really special about finding things that niche and bringing them to the masses. Mm -hmm. Like I appreciate a a designer that wants to educate and bring things back and maybe laugh at things they've done in the past or honor them. I think about moments like when JLo wore the Versace dress again. It's like that was a sacred moment for so many people in fashion, but we got to live it again. Oh, yeah. Like what a cool thing. I want to get into your journalism career a little bit, your journey of obviously loving nylon as a kid and then being in this moment where we're having such a pop punk revival 
And then being able to be the editor-in-chief of Nylon is like the craziest, probably full circle moment for you of all time. It's really, I sometimes think about it. I'm like, I, if I was sitting here with my 15 year old self and I told them where I am right now, she would probably like pass out and not wake up. (laughs) How did this happen? A lot of really hard work. (laughs) Yes, of course. I'm not like, hey guys, this just fell fell on her lap. But what was kind of the moment of outreach? Um, Okay, so I'm going to back up for a second. So I worked in digital media for 10 years. So right out of college, I started interning at a wonderful, wonderful website called fashionista.com. Love. And I was fresh out of college. It was the recession. There were no jobs. I was coming out of a year of cancer treatment. So we don't need to talk about that. But it was just like a weird point in my life. And I ended up getting this internship. And I moved into my aunt and uncle's house on Long Island and commuted into the city to work three or four days a week at Fashionista. And it was a two-woman operation. Wow. And it was like the beginning of blog, like real blogs, like ones that like none of the magazines had websites yet. Because there were only two people at the website, they were like, go forth. So I got to go to fashion week. I got to do like all of this crazy stuff, go to parties. They're like, Tom Ford's having a fragrance launch. Like, will you go interview Tom Ford? I'm like, you're like, are you kidding? Then I bopped around for a couple of years, maybe three or four, just by a stroke of timing. A cup, fashionista had gotten a little, little bigger by then. So a couple of full-timers left leaving a spot for me. So I went back to Fashionista full time and I was there for six years. And I started as a senior editor. Then I got promoted to executive editor, I think. And then I became editor in chief. But Fashionista was like digital media boot camp. Totally. I learned everything I know about <laughs> everything. Everything. <laughs> but also just like how it how it operates when you are not a print product. You are a digital product. You can see every click, where it comes from, who's reading what, why they're reading it. You can really learn so much about your audience, what they latch onto via Twitter or Instagram. And, you know, it really informs your ideas in a way that is interesting. I won't necessarily say it's good or bad, but it's it's certainly interesting. I learned so much about the industry. I learned so much about myself and people and you know, how trends bubble up. And I learned a lot about industry gossip. And it was just like a really crazy whirlwind life experience. And I think that is probably the most formative experience that I've had in my life. Then, you know, I turned 30 and I start getting tired because you can, I mean, I'll just speak for myself here, but the late nights and the early mornings started to catch up to me in a way that felt unhealthy and unsustainable. Like I would go to fashion shows and then I would go to a party and then I would have to go home and write. So yeah, that that is brutal. I think a lot of people who want to be in fashion journalism don't see that side of it. Yeah. There was, I mean, no shade by this, but there was always a running joke within my, you know, digital fashion editor community it's always very clear during Fashion Week who has to go to work in the morning and who doesn't. It got a little unsustainable is the best word. So then I got an email from Emma, who is my boss, and she told me 
in confidence that Bustle Digital Group was going to be acquiring Nylon and would I be interested in running it? And so (laughs) we met, we chatted. She's brilliant, cool. I was like so into it. And, you know, and (laughs) many, many interviews and an edit test later, you know, there I was. And it was really exciting, but it was also really scary and sad. Like leaving Fashionista felt like leaving my family. (laughs) I know you probably should not be as emotionally attached to your job as I was (laughs) at that job, but I still root for them. Like I read it all the time, obviously. I'm like, I feel like I will never officially leave. (laughs) Right. But yeah, Nylon's been great. And it was just good timing, I think. And I think because I had really honed my voice and my writing on Fashionista and kind of leading the content strategy there, like people could see what I could do. You were the perfect fit. I think, I don't really like to pat myself on the back, but I do feel like I really put myself out there in a way that showed like, I know what I'm doing. I know kind of what the cultural zeitgeist, where it's going, where it's been like, you know, I've really put in the work and everyone at Fashionista did. It was not just me by any means. And it is not just me at Nylon. Like, I have an amazing team. They are all brilliant and I rely on them for so much. And I trust their judgment implicitly and I learn so much from them every single day. So having really smart, interesting, curious people around you is like the most important thing to me. But yeah, like I was not shy on Twitter. I was not shy in my critiques of things on Fashionista and you know, sometimes maybe I would get an email from a publicist who is not too happy with me. But like, you got to speak your truth, right? Like, that's what journalists do. A hundred percent. And I um. was also going to say, like, <laughs> some of my friends who are my favorite writers and favorite people in journalism, like yourself, are people who are who have a point of view. You can't be a writer or, and you can't be someone who comments on pop culture if you're just going to say what everyone else says or not say anything at all. But there is like, A couple of instances, and I think this is the most public one, so I will just mention it here. I I forget what year it was, but I was in the airport. I was going to Paris, I think. And there was just like a tourist New York tote bag that Demna had basically recreated at Balenciaga the season prior. So it was, I guess, in stores now or then. In stores then. So I took a picture of the tote bag in the airport. And then I tweeted it with a photo of the Balenciaga bag. And I was like, Demna, you sly dog, because he was charging like two grand for it. Then the company that made those tourist tote bags sued Balenciaga. And my oh, tweet shit. my tweet was in was the in it, complaint. In the yeah. <laughs> oh. I was like, looks mm. like I'm never getting a Balenciaga ticket for as long as I live. <laughs> and for the record, I have not gotten one. So. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's, you're a journalist. <laughs> But I just thought that was like a very funny moment where I was like, oh, God, my Twitter's really gotten me in a sticky situation. But like it was literally just an observation that the fact that this bag that was currently in Barney's R.I.P. I know nowhere. I have no idea where to shop anymore, honestly. I've been just really trying to get into the vintage thing. I think I think. Yeah, everyone is. But it was just a literal observation that I put out there and the swiftness with which it went viral surprised me because I didn't think it was that anyone who pays attention to Balenciaga knew that that was a thing. Right. So it was just a, it was a fun day for me. <laughs> Someone who has 
again, you said you pretty much went through digital media boot camp and now you're at the helm of a magazine. For people who are listening right now that are content creators or writers, journalists, what's your best piece of advice for creating content that resonates with the culture today? My number one piece of advice is just just do it. Just do something. Like whether you want to be a critic or a journalist or a stylist or whatever, you have to put yourself out there and show what you can do. I really love how certain people on TikTok are doing like fashion criticism that way or, you know, people on Instagram are doing like archival fashion lessons, things like that. Try to get yourself published. There are so many outlets with freelance budgets. You just have to kind of put yourself out there, reach out to an editor, pitch yourself, pitch yourself, pitch an idea. Often you won't get a response, but sometimes you will. Like I love to take a chance on a first time writer. It really gives me a lot of joy. Unfortunately, I don't have as much time now to do that, but I have a, an editorial staff, you know, maybe don't pitch me, maybe pitch them because they have their verticals and they have their areas of expertise. And, you know, they are the ones kind of going through that day to day. But at Fashionista, like, I worked with first-timers all the time. Right. And it was great. And once you have a byline, it's easier to get other bylines. And once you have a portfolio, it's easier to get your foot in a door to an event or something. Like, if you wanted to get invited to a museum press preview or a fashion show or even just, like, a party. If you have clips to your name and you have maybe a little bit of a following on Twitter or some sort of relationship with someone in the industry. That's like really all you need. I came into fashion in New York knowing no one. Like I grew up in Virginia. I, you know, didn't have friends in high places at all. Like I just kind of showed up full day like, I'm here. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm ready to go. Someone give me something to do. And I did. And I had a good attitude. I'm nice to people. I'm respectful. I'm professional. And that goes so far. You know, I always talk about the Dumbo Wears Prada as it's like historical fiction because at this point it kind of is. Totally. But Today when, is, I, yeah. when I started, I had an internship in that building four times square. I will not say where, I will not say with who, but I cried in that Condé stairwell so many times just because of the cruelty. And I think we're in a, in a moment now where a lot of that has been pushed aside because the industry is not like that anymore. It is a different beast. So it does not really pay to be mean. Like it's not going to, you know, get you more respect or get people to be scared of you. It's going to, we don't want to work with you anymore. So I think that's, I think that's good. (laughs) I think that's great. Most of the people you encounter, if you cold email them with a pitch or whatever, will probably, if they, if they respond, it, it will be kind. And, you know, I, try to take informational interviews and give feedback as much as I can. Just because like I knew how valuable it was when someone went out of, took time out of their day to take me to coffee or look at my resume. Career changers. Yeah. And I just want to like pay it forward. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a good note to end on. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So this is so fun. Yeah. This is so fun. It was lovely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. 
And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.